0: This is The Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. When is something funny and maybe ironic but when does that something funny and ironic cross the line? That is a debate that has been going on for a very long time. That line that hovers there is one that political cartoonists have to deal with every single time they draw. We have a very recent example of that debate, don't we? Where New Brunswick political cartoonist Michael DeAdder was let go from his job for a cartoon showing US President Donald Trump playing golf over the bodies of the father and daughter who died trying to reach the United States. It was a a very powerful image, one that has now been seen all over the world, even though the man who drew it no longer has a job. So how do editorial cartoonists do it? How do they balance all of those things in a constantly shifting universe? Well, Brian Gable is a cartoonist for the Globe and Mail newspaper, was named to the Order of Canada in 2017. He has been doing this for more than 30 years, and he joins us now for more on this discussion. Brian, thank you for being here. Well, thank you. Well, we read your piece in the Gold Mill," which you wrote at the beginning of May, which talked about this very topic. Why did you bring it up at that time?
1: Well, it was World Press uh, Freedom Day. <clears throat> and um, it's, I was approached by the uh, editor to, to do something about um, press freedom as it applies to cartooning. And that's, a, as we learned yesterday, it's a very pertinent topic. And uh, yesterday's events, I think, um, kind of buttressed some of the points made in that piece.
0: And what was it that you wanted to get across? I mean, is this always a constant battle for political cartoonists?
1: I think it's becoming, you know, an increasingly difficult battle. And the central reason is is that uh, the number of voices, the number of newspaper outlets for editorial cartoonists is, is diminishing. You know, it seems by the hour. So that in the old days, you know, the phrase was you'd cross the street. If you ran into difficulties with your paper, you'd say I'm out of here, and and you had some other options to go on and work for. Nowadays, um, if you're out of a job, it's it's um, much much more difficult. You know, the the profession has um, has shrunk in numbers um, profoundly since I started in in the
0: 80s. And where do you get your inspiration from? Like, what's your thought process like for deciding what you're going to put forward?
1: Well, your introduction and talking about the the uh, art of editorial cartooning is very correct. You know, it is each day, it's about an edge or a line. And every cartoonist that I know approaches that differently. But um, if you just sit back and throw softballs day after day after day, um, people are bored and they go away. They don't read your stuff. So there is an aspect. You try to challenge people's thoughts. And you try to be fresh if you can. It doesn't happen every day, but that's the ideal. And you try to just provide a new insight into things and bring some humor to the whole process. Um, you know, it's something that you can learn how to do. You get better at it. And, your instincts perhaps become a little bit better with time, and, and um, but it is something that that one gets a skill you develop right. a skill to do it.
0: Do you have people that you bounce it off of to say, like, is this too far? How does this look to you, or is this something that a personal judgment that you make?
1: For most cartoonists, it's a pretty personal process. Um, you know, you come up with your your rough. You may send it into an editor. Um, okay, the worst sort of or the most common scenario where my work is rejected is when my editor says, I don't get it. <laughs> and, right. and that happens, you know, even after all of this time, I can draw something and to me it makes absolute brilliant, perfect sense. But someone looking at it with fresh eyes goes, what's the reference? I'm, I'm not catching this. It doesn't happen a lot, but it still happens. Um, the other process is it goes, through lawyers, if, if there's some concern.
0: Oh, really? Isn't have you had that they? happen?
1: Oh, that happens quite a bit. You know, it happens for a number of different reasons. Sometimes if you're using a, a logo for a company or whatever, you know, you have to frame that usage so that you're not um, legally liable. I mean, or, or at least one chooses to frame that reference. You know, if it's in connection to a news story and it's um, um, fair comment you know, if, if a story is out there and people are talking about it, this, this it's pretty wide ranging. But you know, Disney characters sometimes and things like this, um, lawyers will check to be sure that you know it's legally tied
0: up. I would guess that to be a political cartoonist these days, Brian, then you also have to know a fair bit of the law.
1: To some extent, yeah, but you know, the nowadays, uh, and this is something fairly recent in my career. But more and more, it's not so much about the law, but rather um, what interest groups' toes you may be stepping on.
0: Oh, in what (laughs) ways?
1: If there are so many issues nowadays involve, um, you know, settlements or apologies or uh, they're very, very highly debatable issues. Things like um, immigration. Have to be handled with extreme care so that that people don't um, become hugely offended. That said, um sometimes those are the main front page stories, and you have to be able to talk about them without having um, you know massive demonstrations surrounding the newspaper.
0: Do you ever self-censor? Do you ever do something where you go, oh, I think that that goes over the line. I guess
1: you know that. Uh, <laughs> I'd be curious to hear other cartoonists talk about this, but, yeah, there is self-censorship in the sense that, like, what battle are you prepared to go to the wall for, you know? And sometimes you say, I know that this is going to blow up, um, but I I believe strongly that this cartoon says what I believe to be true. And and then you just sit back and wait for the letters and the, you know, (laughs) the... um. Calls to the editor, etc.
0: So you have to develop um, quite a thick skin. Sometimes I will stare away simply because it's just not
1: worth the grief.
0: Ah, okay. So you do sometimes self-censor.
1: I think everyone does. I think, um, you know, uh, any commentator in the public eye or in public ear or, um, chooses where they want to go to do battle. You, you don't just sort of indiscriminately just wade in and toss out. Sort of hand grenades that you know are going to, you know, offend people. But sometimes people need offending, and and then you do it.
0: What did you think of the whole Michael DeAdder situation this week?
1: I think uh, Michael is a is a brilliant cartoonist, and I I think it's extremely unfortunate that New Brunswick has lost a voice of, of, of as articulate. And as you know, um, talented as Michael, um, it's it's a tragedy of the media landscape nowadays that um, we are losing small community voices, we are losing mid-sized voices, and uh, the public, I think, is the one who are really suffering from this loss.
0: Are things and, more and are things more litigious these days, Brian? I don't get that
1: feeling. That's a good question, but no, I don't think so. I think, I think people express their anger now in being outraged and in in having mass reactions. You know, it might be a, a you know a raging Twitter storm or something, which advertisers in all broadcasting media, you know, don't like. If you alienate, you know, 5% of your readers right. because of a cartoon, um, you know, publishers are going to think about that. They're going to say, do we need this, this hassle? A good publisher and a good newspaper will say, yeah, because, you know, this is what the paper stands for, etc. But in a diminishing landscape, I think people are less and less willing to take those chances.
0: When you see what happened then over the last week with Michael D'Adder, was this good or bad for political cartoonists? I mean, on the one hand, this whole debate got a lot of attention, right? Or yeah. was it good or bad?
1: Well, the fundamental thing is it was bad for Michael.
0: Yes. Um,
1: and, you know, directly related to that, it is bad for for any cartoonist if it makes cartoonists become too careful um, you know um, Michael's cartoon was fair comment um, based on the issues it was linking his feeling that President Trump wasn't showing um, care for for um, people who are crossing the border and uh, he expressed it in a in a metaphor that that you know was timely and newsworthy um, it wasn't Apparently, it wasn't in harmony with his publisher's worldview, and um, this is what happened.
0: And have you talked to other cartoonists about it? I've been
1: following the, um, the reaction in the comments that people have been making, and I think, you know, the feeling is fairly... Well, um, in that piece that I wrote in the Globe and Mail, we quoted our, our president of the Canadian Association of Cartoonists, who who expressed you know very much the view that as the market, as the publishing voices shrink, you know uh, the freedom of expression shrinks with it, and um, it's profoundly unsettling. I uh, think it's long term. It's very dangerous for our democracy as these voices recede.
0: Brian, thank you for talking to us about this today.
1: It was a pleasure.
0: It's really great. Yeah, it's great to have you in that perspective on this. That's Brian Gable. You can catch his work in the Globe and Mail newspaper. He's a political cartoonist. He's worked with that paper since 1987, named to the Order of Canada in 2017. And I thought, you know, tough job right now in the world of political cartooning of probably you're a little worried, right? Is this going to be, am I going to get in trouble with everything that's happening? And you just heard from Brian as well about how, yeah, that is in the back of the minds now of political cartoonists.